time has finally arrived once again. This is the Cubs Weekly Podcast presented by Wintrust, exclusive home of Cubs checking, featuring free, that's right, free ATMs nationwide. Open online today at Wintrust.com slash Cubs. I'm Cole Wright at your service, along with Tony Andraki and Taylor McGregor. We're going to try to keep you entertained here on the Cubs Weekly Podcast for at least 20 to 30 minutes or so. And of course, what are we going to talk about? We're talking about that second season, the playoffs. Yeah, yeah we are talking about those playoffs, and I don't mean to get derailed right off the bat here, but that Tony Taylor, that has to be the best soundbite in the history of soundbites. Jim Mora, playoffs. Uh, what's that? Uh, playoffs? Don't talk about it. playoffs. You kidding me? Playoffs? Tony, I'll start. The best soundbite of all time? Yes or no? I mean, yeah, that's pretty good. I, I like the Allen Iverson. Like we talk practice. That's like I think that's one of my favorites too. But those two, also, your impression was really good, Cole. I give you a lot of credit for your Jim Moore impression. Thank you. I don't think many Cole is low-key actor slash comedian. The stuff he pulls out of his back pocket, I'm like, where did that come from? How do you know all of these quotes and lines just, like, ready to go for every little thing we're ever talking about? He's got some – some quote. So I applaud you, Cole. Maybe it's all Thank your you. time in Hollywood. I don't know. Well, I don't, I, maybe it was all the time I spent in a principal's office. I got kicked out of many a class for having all those uh, anecdotes and all those, all those quick, quick-witted quips. But uh, e- either way, guys, we're here to talk about the postseason, like we said, the playoffs and the Cubs. Well, they got it done because we, we know that the Washington Nationals, they got the better of the Philadelphia Phillies in a double dip yesterday. So their ticket is punched. The wild card or the, excuse me, the, the magic number is, is still starting to shrink when it comes to them winning the division. So there's still some work to be done. We know that, but just getting into the postseason, that's all you really need to do. Just punch that ticket. And like I said uh, yesterday on Cubs postgame live, all you need is a ticket to the game. It doesn't matter if it's a, a nosebleed or if, or, or if it's a, you know, a box seat. If you're slick enough by the end of the game, you can sneak your way down to the front and uh, the, the Cubs, all they're needing right now is that ticket. And that's what they have, Tony. And just to see them get in, once you're in, everything else takes care of itself. So if David Ross and this squad, if they can navigate things offensively as well as with the rotation, then they're setting themselves up for some success in this uh, second season. Yeah, for sure, especially the way the playoff format is this year with the three-game wild card round for everybody. I mean, honestly, there's not a huge difference between whether you're the one seed or the eight seed. You obviously want to play at home, and the Cubs obviously want to host the games, the, the three-game series at Wrigley Field versus going on the road somewhere. But there's not a major difference. You still get three games. You're playing in stadiums without fans, so there's not a major home field advantage. You know, really the main thing is just, you know, kind of being comfortable in, in your home ballpark and then the, the ability to hit last and to have last bats, you know, when if you're getting close into the ninth inning or potentially into – into extra innings. But yeah, other than that, it's, it's not the same as it was. It's not a one game playoff where there's this kind of crapshoot thing. The whole playoffs is a crapshoot and it's just about whoever gets hot at the right time. But, but yeah, definitely. I mean, like you said, Cole, you punch a ticket to get in and and the Cubs have already done that. And then they're looking for more. Um, But really, I think, you know, they're looking to, to be firing on all cylinders once they get into that October series. Absolutely. And and like we said, getting in, that's all that really matters. And Taylor, right now, the Cubs, they're in, whether or not they win the division, that would be nice because that would, you know, adjust seeding. We know that Atlanta currently sitting in that two seed. And, you know, when it comes to certain matchups, there's some teams that you just might not want to see right about now, especially in that wild card. And when I say that, you know, I'm looking at the seeding and Cincinnati, 
I know that's a team that a lot of people don't want to see in a short series because, I mean, you get Trevor Bauer, you get Sonny Gray, and that's a problem. Yeah, for sure. You know, I was looking – I know not a ton of left-handed starters that they could potentially see in the, in the postseason, but to me it's – for the Cubs, you don't want to see anybody who's hot, but also you don't want to see a ton of, of lefties because they've struggled against lefties this year, and you're going to expect them out of the pen, but if you could limit the amount of starters that they see that are lefty, lefties um, – I think that's going to be in their favor. So certainly a lot that could fall into place depending upon the team. But I would agree with you the Cincinnati Reds have been one of the, the stories as we head into this postseason because we always say it's not necessarily the best team who wins. It's always the hottest. And they've certainly looked to be on a roll as of late. Absolutely. And, and Tony, you know, when, when you look at right now the rotation and some of the some of the reinforcements, you know, we saw Jose Quintana last night. We also saw, saw Albert Alzali. He went out there. He got after it. But, you know, to see these guys come in and have them really be reinforcements down the stretch here, if you're David Ross, you have to like the way things are setting up for you know, the, the late season push. Yeah, I think Alzali was super impressive Tuesday night in Pittsburgh. I, everything he's been working on in South Bend, it's a testament to him, and he gave a lot of credit to – Craig Breslow, the Cubs pitching coordinator, and then uh, the two pitching coaches out there, Ron Vallone and James Ogden, just for developing that slider that we saw. I mean, Elsley induced 14 swings and misses in four innings, and we saw the slider. I mean, he almost hit – I forget what lefty it was in the Pirates lineup that almost got hit with that pitch and still swung mm-hmm. and looked, you know, absolutely silly on it. But between that and then the two-seamer that Elsley has also developed, these pitches are going in opposite directions – he, he changed his grip up about 10 days ago, he said, to, to make the slider a little bit harder in velocity compared to and set it apart from his, his really good curveball as well. So, yeah, I mean, you throw all these things in with a guy that throws 95-96, also lays a weapon for this team. And Quintana as well. I mean, it, the Cubs have always been really impressed with Quintana and his ability to, to, to go out there and, you know, kind of have this slow heartbeat that they talk about and, and he performed really well in the 2017 postseason when he first came over to the Cubs. So I, I think uh, both of those guys getting them involved in this pitching staff for the rest of this regular season and then in the playoffs, I think they're, they are different weapons for, for David Ross to use. And he also said, Ross said that he's not, he wouldn't shy away from using a piggyback situation like he did tonight in Pittsburgh. So we could see something like that in the playoffs maybe. Taylor, what do you think? I mean, I was a little bit shocked to see, you know, under 40 pitches from Quintana. And I, we saw Alzali. He went out there, stretched things out just a little bit more. But, you know, JQ, we, we, I'd like to see him get a few more innings. But, you know, with only five games left, that's going to be tough to do. So, you know, it looks as if he's going to be relegated to a bullpen role. We're not going to see him as a starter in any of the postseason. Yeah, I think, like Tony was just saying, I think it could it could be really any role that they need him in. Um, he was limited to that lower pitch count because that was kind of the amount that he had thrown in his bullpen. So I didn't expect them to really stretch him too much, but I was really encouraged by him and Adbert last night. And I piggybacking off of what Tony said, we could see a piggyback. Um, you know, I think they could be used in, in a multitude of roles and it was just good to see them go out there and, and perform. Adbert especially, I think, was the story last night as we sit here and record this. Um, you know, the, the concept of tunneling is, is new in Major League Baseball, but I think you saw that with his fastball and slider last night caused a lot of deception. That change in the grip certainly um, helped him. So 
the amount of punch outs he was able to get was exciting. And, and it's always for me, good to see guys miss bats. So I was really encouraged by him. And of course, Q just getting him back out there. He felt good physically and being able to intermix those guys into the playoff uh, picture is going to be huge for this ball club. You know, one thing that's, you know, it doesn't have me worried, but I'm, I'm, I'm a little bit hesitant when, when you look at it. But Chris Bryant, right now, with all the injuries that KB has suffered all season long, it's, you know, it's, it's an unfortunate series of events for the former MVP. And then the latest in that string of events is that, that oblique muscle. I mean, it's the, it's the lower right oblique. And uh, we, we saw him take a day off versus the Buccos in game two, that four-game set. And we saw David Bodie step in. And David Bodie... I mean, Taylor, you, you gave him the nickname, Captain Clutch. I mean, the guy's out there. He does it every single time the occasion calls for it. We see him rise to set occasion every single time. And, you know, for, for Chris Bryant to go down this late in the season, it's not, a, it's not an IL type of injury. However, when he's banged up a little bit down the stretch, I mean, you would love to have him at your disposal if you're David Ross, especially because Rossi says that this Cubs team is better when Chris Bryant is in the mix. But right now, I mean, a healthy David Bode is, is, is better than what you want to see out of, a, out of a banged up Chris Bryant. Yeah, and I think in a way that's the encouraging part is that they aren't going to lose a ton by going to David Bode. And Tony asked David Ross yesterday just about what makes Bode so clutch. You know, we've, we've talked about the heartbeat, but the way that he prepares and the way that he knows his swing, he knows how pitchers are going to attack him. He's prepared for that moment. And so um, – Depth is incredibly important, and the Cubs have that with David Bodie. But uh, let's definitely not take anything away from from KB. We know he's one of the best in all of Major League Baseball when he's right. But this season has been challenging, and and I think we don't talk enough about how hard it can be for a guy like him to to suffer through some of the injuries and then experience a little bit of failure. You know, this is a guy who came up; he was Rookie of the Year, he was the National League MVP, and. You know, he's not used to failing. And and I think there is a legitimacy to how challenging that can be to face that at the big league level. So, you know, maybe for the first time in his life, he's kind of experiencing some of the failure like he is right now. And that's so hard with the pandemic. He's a new dad. And so um, I just think he's going through so much. But I, I still think he's, he's an incredible player. And I look forward to getting him back to the, the Chris Bryant that we all know and, and the player that he can be. So with that said, though, um, important to have have a guy like David Bodie be able to step up in the meantime. Yeah, and people are right now that are sitting there and they're, they're on the ledge when it comes to Chris Bryant and his numbers. But I think one thing that people fail to realize is if this were a regular 162-game season, where would we be at? We'd probably be in like the first week of June, maybe second week of June. So if guys' numbers are down, it's like, it's all right. Don't worry about it. You get the all-star break. You get a chance to give yourself a breather and get back in the mix. And I think that's exactly what we'd see out of Chris Bryant. And hopefully, you know, that all-star break is what he's going through right now, a little bit of time off. And then when he gets to ramp back up, it'll be the postseason. And that'll be his pseudo second half. So maybe we'll see Chris Bryant catch fire. But either way, like Taylor said, Tony, I mean, to have David Bodie be able to play third base and be able to play so many different positions in that, in that understudy role, that, that fill-in basis. I mean, to have a guy like that, I mean, it, it's unbelievable. And, and not just to have a guy who can fill in at the drop of a hat, to have a guy who comes through in so many clutch situations, it's going to be only a matter of time before we see him start to come through in non-clutch situations and just regular ABs. Yeah, I mean, it's really fascinating. You know, you look at the Cubs numbers, and as we're recording this here on Wednesday – 
Bodie second on the Cubs with 27 RBI, and he has yep. fewer plate appearances than than these other guys, than Ian Happ, who who has 28 RBI, and and you know more than Schwarber, Rizzo, Contreras, Javi, all those guys who have been playing all year. So that is a testament to Bodie and, and how he comes through in the clutch. I mean, the guy's hitting like 460 with two outs and runners in scoring position this year. And we all know what he did with that ultimate grand slam. So he definitely comes through. Um, but I, I totally agree with you, Taylor, that, you know, getting Chris Bryant back and healthy would be a boost to this team. I, I know he hasn't performed the way that he wants to this year. And injuries have been a huge part of that story for sure. But I, I think Bryant does so many little things well. Like, he's so good. He's elite, really, at going from first to third on base hits. And we've seen that, you know, when he started drawing some more walks before he got hurt here. And, and I think that was a positive sign, too. He was, he was sizing up the zone a little bit better right before this oblique injury and was suddenly drawing a bunch of walks. So between, you know, his base running and then the, just the ability and the name presence kind of in the lineup, but then also the fact that he was playing really good defense. David Ross has been touting Brian's defense at third base all year. And Bodie's very good over there as well. But, um, you know, yeah, I think, you know, losing Brian certainly is, is a big deal. Um, and getting him back would also be a, a big boost to this team. But in the meantime, David Bodie, I mean, you can't really ask for much more depth. And, and for a team that wants to get where these guys want to go and win the World Series, you need role players like David Bodie to step up and have big performances. Absolutely. And one thing that, that is really piquing my interest as we inch closer towards this postseason, it, it's the bullpen. Because the bullpen, they've been lights out lately. But you know, when you talk about Chris Bryant and that oblique, we know Rowan Wick, he's on the shelf right now, the 10-day IL with that oblique as well. That's never a good thing. Just oblique muscles in general, it, it, that's an injury you want to stay away from, especially when you're talking about Major League Baseball. But you're looking at this rotation, I mean, I mean it's, it's been all the guys, the usual suspects who've gone there and gotten it done. It's been Craig Kimbrell. It's been Jeremy Jeffress. You know, it's been Ryan Tapera. It's been, it's been Jason Adam. These guys getting after it. And one thing that jumps off the page to me, especially if, when you look at this wild card series that's going to go down more than likely at Wrigley Field, Jason Adam, I mean, that hammer, he's got that, that short arm curveball. I mean, he keeps guys out front, off balance, and – when, when a lot of players haven't seen this guy before, I mean, he could be really deadly in that second season, Tony. Yeah, no, he could. And and Adam is a guy, I mean, he he has really impressed. And that's another guy from South Bend. We talk about what Alzale did down there. Adam started the season in South Bend. And, and he has, I mean, it, the craziest thing about Adam, you ha he has the, the curveball you talked about, Cole. But he has a changeup that he throws like 90 miles an hour. Like a 90-mile-an-hour changeup is not normal. But it has some pretty wicked movement, and his fastball is like 95-ish, 94-95 typically. But it, it has incredible spin rate and rise. So it just it's kind of like that Kimbrel fastball too. When Kimbrel really has it going, it looks like it just kind of takes off and sails a bit like a wiffle ball. Adam has that same kind of thing. So, you know, obviously, like, Cubs would want Rowan Wick out there for October – but a guy like Jason Adam potentially stepping up, that's another guy who misses bats that, that could come through in some really big situations out of the bullpen. Yeah, it's crazy that he calls that his changeup. You know, you don't normally see a guy that's at 95 with the, with the gas and then only a five-mile-an-hour differential, and then they actually label that as a changeup. Maybe he just needs to give it another name. Maybe that, that'll make it even more effective because you're not changing a whole bunch of guys up, you know, with the five-mile differential, but he's changing a whole bunch of people up when he, when he tosses that hammer. And that's been one of the good things. I'm sure David Ross 
has, you know, had a smile on his face when he sees this guy come out of those barn doors. And, you know, especially when you take a look at Jeremy Jeffress and Craig Kimbrell and for Kimbrell to round out, you know, we know he had those middle of the season hiccups there, Taylor, but for him to come out and, and do what he's done over his last 10 outings or so, I mean, Craig Kimbrell is the guy that you want to see when that game is on the line to set up Jeremy Jeffress right now. Yeah, what a credit to that guy for how hard he has worked to get back to that form. Um, again, I just don't think we talk about how hard it is to experience failure when you're used to succeeding. I mean, this is a guy who's one of the best ever at the, the back end of the pen and, and to struggle the way he did and put in the, all the hard work and make the adjustments and then to come out and be able to consistently perform in this season, really just a credit, a credit to how hard he has worked. So that's been amazing to see. And then I think the combination of, of him and of Jeffress is, is scary. You know, I think the situation is it's not necessarily set up guy Jeffress and then Kimbrell into close the ninth. If you look at the, the order and depending upon what the, the bats entail, you could see either guy in the ninth. And that to me is what's exciting about the Cubs um, kind of keeping other lineups guessing and, and providing a little bit of diversity at the back end of the bullpen. So to have both of those guys who you can count on back there is impressive, but definitely want to give another shout out to Craig Kimbrell for how hard he worked because it's been really fun to see how hard, how hard he worked and then the, to get the results that he has. Absolutely. It's great yeah. to see that, that David Ross, uh, you know, at, at, when he looks at that bullpen, he, he does have that old, old wooden ship. You said he's got that diversity back there. No, I'm sorry. I had to go Ron, Ron Burgundy on that one. Uh, Ron, I don't think the network is worried about the lack of an old wooden ship. But this either is what way, I'm talking about. <laughs> it's just because he wore that red suit in Tuesday's show that Sean was giving him crap that, for looking like Ron Burgundy. Now Sean now thinks he is Ron Burgundy. It was Marsala. That's Tony. Let's if you if you're gonna take shots at, at my attire, it's it's Marsala. That was the the correct. What, color. what is Marsala? What is that? I don't know. I don't know. That's that's the color that it said when, when the suit was sent to me, and it was the, under the description. But uh, here nor there. You know, one thing <laughs> we're, we're looking at right now is you know we go from the bullpen, of course, to that rotation because in a three game series, you know things can get out of hand real quick. That's it if you don't have all your horses set up and. You know, we talked about it on Cubs, Cubs Live and Cubs Post Game Live. Sean Marshall, he said his rotation for the three-game series as well as the divisional series. And, you know, his, his one, two, three, it looked different for both, Tony. Yeah, no, I, I think it's a fascinating conversation. We were just talking about it before we started doing this podcast. And in some ways, and maybe it's the most interesting conversation surrounding this team right now is how do you line these guys up for that potential three-game series? It's mm -hmm. – you got uh, it's best of three, so you may only have two. There's certainly a possibility the Cubs throw Darvish and Hendricks in some combination for games one and two and end up advancing right away to the bubble, and this all becomes a moot point. But, you know, I, I think really it's a matter of how these last two starts go because Darvish has been kind of training in the wrong direction and Hendricks has been training in the right direction. Hendricks has been phenomenal these last couple outings. Darvish hasn't been bad by any means, but – uh, he just hasn't quite been up to the, like, Cy Young caliber form he was in his first nine, ten starts of the year. So after that, I, I don't know. I mean, I think you have to go with John Lester. I think you have to go with the postseason experience. And if you go out there and you lose with John Lester in, say, a, a you know, winner go home game three, I think you can go home and you can sleep that night with that versus trying to get cute and having Alec Mills or, or something like that out there. Um, 
you know, you go with a guy who's, who's shown up on that stage before and who has been able to perform. So I, in some combination, I see Hendricks and Darvish one and Lester, Lester three. But then you also, you have the ability of these, as we talked about piggybacks, you have Mills, you have Elzele or even Quintana to, to come in if, if anybody sees any trouble with Lester. And I mean, who would know better than David Ross if Lester isn't quite up to form? But I just kind of see this all playing out that somehow after all this that we've talked about with potentially John Lester's last start at Wrigley Field, I just see it shaking out that it's going to be a 1-1 series going into that game three. Mm. And Lester gets the ball at Wrigley Field. And the season kind of comes down to this guy who's been there, done it before, who showed up in game seven in the 2016 World Series. And then he goes out and does it one more time. And potentially rides off into the sunset. We still don't know what's going to happen. But I still I see it kind of coming down to John Lester in game three against the, you know, for winner go home in that wild card round. You know, if everything lines up as it has so far this season, then when you Darvish, no matter where he pitches, if he pitches game one in the three-game set or game two, everything's going to be all right because as I look at the schedule, I will be working. And I don't know if you guys know or not. I'm sure you haven't been keeping track. But every time you Darvish has lost, I've had the day off. So, <laughs> so, so I feel like I'm you Darvish's good, good luck charm right now. Whenever I'm on the, on the show – you Darvish goes out there and gets after it. It has absolutely nothing to do with anything. And, you know, it's, we saw on Sunday, he ran into a little bit of bad luck. We saw Kyle Schwarber, you know, he didn't make the play on that ball. Saw Jake Cave move up. And, of, of course, he was in Rossi's doghouse. Eventually, he got out of it, showed some hustle the very next evening. And, and for Kyle Schwarber to get out of David Ross's doghouse, Taylor, I mean, that, that shows a whole bunch. But not just for the, the player that he is, it shows – that, hey, you know what? I made a mistake. I'm all about ownership and accountability. I'll go out there and, and I'll show Rossi, even though they're, they're, they're on a great, you know, they have a great relationship. I think just being able to prove to your skipper, hey, you know what? I messed up last night, tonight, whole new day. I'm going to show you what I can do. I'm going to put my best foot forward. Yeah, you know what? For me, it almost seems like that situation wasn't ideal, but they were able to use that and have genuine conversation in-depth conversation and I think it only is better for their relationship in the long run you know sometimes when you you know you might get an argument with your friend and then you have that conversation and you leave better friends than you were before and and for me that seems like that's kind of what happened you know there was there was a situation and it was unfortunate and seems like both sides were you know kind of irritated but then they were able to talk it out and and now it seems like they're better off for it and that's something the players have been saying all season long is what they love the most about David Ross and that manager seat is the way that he communicates with them because oftentimes in baseball there isn't a lot of communication and guys are kind of questioning their roles and what's a manager thinking what's this guy thinking and, and David has been very clear that he wants guys to know where they stand he wants them to know what he's thinking and he's been super clear and super vocal with that and and this situation with Schwarber was was an example of how he he communicates and in the long run it, it just helped their relationship so certainly they've turned the page and I think they're better off for uh the situation that unfolded yeah players and managers they need to be on the same page especially headed into the playoffs because they're going to be getting up close and personal there's that that bubble situation and uh you, that's all you're going to see guys on your team and what whether or not the cubs are quarantined in chicago or they're down there in texas in that postseason once things go that next level like i said all you're going to see are the guys on your team maybe a few a sprinkles of family members but 
you know, for David Ross and Kyle Schwarber to, to be back in lockstep, that's always a good thing. But, Tony, it brings up the situation of the bubbles, of the, the playoff scenarios, and things are going to be a little bit different than what they've seen so far all season long. But the one – I can't say the one good, good thing, but, you know, one thing that jumps off the page for this Cubs team is that they've been the best team in all Major League Baseball when it comes to, to, to positive tests and a lack thereof. Yeah, they really have been. And, and that's a huge testament to everybody from what Taylor was saying about David Ross and the communication skills. I, I mean, it starts there, right? Like it starts with the guys at the top, with Theo Epstein laying all these guidelines out, with, with Ross helping instill them, with the players holding themselves in, accountable and policing themselves. Um, and yeah, it's, it is going to be very weird. Like once they come home from Pittsburgh, they go into a Chicago hotel Kyle Schwarber was talking about how weird it is they have to pack up the essentials, but he and his wife got to grab dog food too, of all things. It's, you know, Ian Happ was comparing it to the, the guidelines are so much more strict now for the playoff bubble and, and the hotels and everything, the quarantine before the bubble that he's like, you know, if you want to leave the hotel to go take a walk, you got to ask for permission. You're almost like a zoo animal. And it is very weird. Um, and it's just going to be really weird for the Cubs to be back in Chicago for a week, right? If they're, if they are able to, to clinch and get to the point where that wildcard series is at Wrigley Field, then they will come home after Pittsburgh on, you know, Thursday evening, and they will be in a hotel at Chicago until at least, you know, Friday morning or, or even if this series goes three games. So that would be weird. They'll be right down the street from their home and not able to go in it because they're in this quarantine environment. But also there's a 40-man roster. It's not just the 28-man, you know, roster that we see now. There's 12 other guys, too, that are going to be on this playoff bubble roster type thing that are going to be quarantined and working out at Wrigley Field instead of South Bend. So it's going to be a very, very weird um, season. But the Cubs also said to a man that it's worth it, that all of these sacrifices, that all of the the um, weird quarantining and their families giving up all of their time, it's all worth it because they want that trophy at the end of the season. Absolutely. It's funny that Ian Happ said you know, they'll, they'll be like zoo animals. because I, I heard that there's some, some lions and tigers over in Brookfield Zoo being like, uh, how much does Ian Happ get paid once again? Like he's comparing him to us. Like it's a, a little bit different when you talk about these guys being in a quarantine away from their homes in the city of Chicago. But it's going to be not Cole, only different. What well, you should have done there, talking about Ron, <laughs> you should have talked about, uh, was it the panda that had the baby? The zoo animal at the scene. Well, that, that was that was Brian Fantana. That was his assignment. When, when oh, the, right. you're the, right. Yeah, yeah. The Ron Burgundy jumped into the into the bear pit, and he immediately regretted that decision. And then you're he right. was, of course, the ladder was put down there. And then we saw Vince Vaughn's character, uh, Wes Mantooth. Wes Mantooth <laughs> got him out of that out of that bear pit there. And then Wes Mantooth has uh, not, not a love for Ron Burgundy, but he does have respect, as, as we as we know at the end of Anchorman, but uh, I, I digress because it's, it's going to be different for the players when it comes to this, this, uh, this quarantine, this bubble situation in Chicago, but it's going to be a lot different for fans too, Tate. I don't know if you've heard anything from a fan's perspective as you walk around Wrigleyville, but you know, every single home game, the neighborhood's been a buzz, but without fans being able to be in as it's been all season long, it's going to be a different postseason, especially when postseason baseball, and that's when things really get rocking. You see towels start being waved and the, the intensity it's ratcheted up just a little bit. For sure. Um, I think the one pro is that families are allowed to quarantine in the bubble. And I'm assuming that means that they're allowed in the stadium. So you got a little bit of that, which might create a, some sort of an atmosphere, but certainly the lack of fans all season long has created a different environment. So 
that's going to carry over into the postseason. But I do think that the fact they've been used to that all year long, it, it's not going to be too different for them once they get to, to October baseball. They'll just have to, you know, harness the energy within themselves, which the Cubs have had no trouble doing. Tony, I don't know if you saw uh, Cubs, Cubs Live the other day. Uh, Sean Marshall and I, we, can, we compared some of the potential postseason matchups with Chicago-style pizza. We went deep dish, we went thin crust, and, uh, you know, he, he, he called the St. Louis Cardinals pan pizza. And I was like, you know, I, I hope it's, it's not that old greasy pan pizza that pretty much is just like a sponge of, of grease because that's, we don't really put that in any kind of category. But, you know, when it comes to some of these teams, like you said, the Cincinnati Reds, they're deep dish because, you know, when you look at that rotation and some of those guys that hit tanks, which have a few guys up and down that lineup, like we said earlier at the top of this podcast, I mean, Cincinnati, they're going to be a problem for somebody when, when you get into this, in this postseason tournament. Yeah, for sure. I think the worst case scenario probably is the Cubs having to face the Reds with how well those two teams know each other. And, yeah. and like I mentioned, those three starters, you talk about Luis Castillo, Sonny Gray, and Trevor Bauer in a three-game series. I mean, regardless of how the Cubs match up, like that's a, that's a really tough three games for this offense that admittedly hasn't been performing the way that they've wanted to for the last few weeks now going into the postseason. So, yeah, that would certainly be a, a kind of a worst-case scenario is the Cubs facing the, the Reds. Plus, you know, for Cubs fans to be seeing Nicholas Castellanos across the way and then, you know, some of these guys like Eugenio Suarez, who, who really hammers the Cubs over his career, uh, Aristides Aquino as well, who does the same thing over the last two years. Like that lineup is scary. And, and the fact that, you know, that pitching staff, as you mentioned too. So that would, that would certainly be deep dish uh, or Cole, you guys had a deep dish was toughest, right? Deep dish. Yeah, the, uh, yeah. Yeah. So that would certainly be like the deep dish matchup for me. Okay. <laughs> well, since we're talking about, about pizza, I don't mean to get too sidetracked, but uh, our producer, Nick Steger over at, uh, at Marquee Sports Network, he, he took the plunge and went and had Pequod's and he said that Pequod's is far superior to Lou Malnati's, which <laughs> I took a lot. I, I've only had a bite of Pequod's before, which was delicious, but to sit there and to throw Lou Malnati's under the bus, I mean, that's, he, he clearly is from New Mexico, Taylor. <laughs> so, all right. I got to admit a little bit of, something to you guys i actually didn't think that i liked deep dish pizza upon well, to well all right now the the cubs weekly podcast is over with taylor mcgregor this no, is let me, finish my, on the show. Let okay, me okay. finish my thought so i didn't think that i liked it and then i lived down the street from lou's and can i tell you the amount of times i've already ordered pizza to my place which Hello, I'm a girl. I try to stay away from carbs. So the fact that I'm ordering Lou Malnati's to my house repeatedly just shows how amazing I think that pizza is. So when people say Pequod's is better than Lou's, I haven't had it yet, but that almost seems like a dangerous thing for me to venture off into because if I find pizza that's better than Lou Malnati's, like I... I might be 500 pounds by the end of the season. So a little bit nervous about that, uh, that assessment, but um, I got to say Chicago deep dish pizza, man. Wow. I'm obsessed. And that's the thing though. All you have to do is get, if you want that, that, that satisfaction of that deep dish, you just go get the thin crust. You just get the thin crust, butter crust. It's, it's not the same thing, but it still scratches that itch. Right? Tony, isn't that right? Yeah, uh, you know, I'm actually lactose intolerant, so whenever I eat pizza, huh. 
Jeez, <laughs> so like this isn't i'm not a huge uh part of this conversation um I Tony, still, we're, we're gonna need to get you some lactate pills and you're gonna just have to get after it <laughs> i mean that's that's, dude, that's i'm what taking lactate pills and they don't they don't work that well for me but i love pizza i do i just i pull the cheese off it which is very weird but it's also good for people who like cheese like my fiance just eats my extra cheese so it's like it's good but I, I'm not a, I'm not really a part of these uh, Chicago pizza debates. I like deep dish, but I like the the thing I like about deep dish is that layer of sausage that you oh, yeah. over it. Like that's awesome, and you can sausage eat wheel. Yeah, it's it's amazing. That's my favorite part. But to be honest, I have never actually had Pequod's pizza. So I know Alec Mills did right after his no hitter. Definitely have to try it because I need to figure out because I've had Lou Malnati's and it's phenomenal. And uh, all these different Chicago staples. I mean, I, I've always been a fan of Rosati's Thin Crust. But, but Pequod's, I, I don't know. I haven't had that or Art of Pizza. So I got to try those two. Yeah, I'm, I'm about Rosati's and Aurelio's Thin Crust for, for that matter. But Tony, you yes. said like your fiance gets the extra. Who wants, who wants secondary cheese? Like cheese that's already been peeled off of a pizza. I mean, is that, is, is, your, is that what she's in the market for? Does she already know that, okay, I'm going to get Tony's extra cheese? Or do people, like, just walk by and say, hey, look, if Tony's got some extra cheese, I think I'll help myself to that. I mean, probably a little bit of both. But, like, for people who love cheese, I don't think they're complaining whether it's, you know, secondhand cheese or, or firsthand or whatever it is. But everywhere I've gone, wherever I've eaten pizza, there's always somebody that wants that extra cheese. So it works out for me. Taylor, I don't know about you, but if I walk past Tony's table and I saw some extra cheese hanging around, I'm just going to let that extra cheese hang around. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> shout out to your fiance, but yeah. I don't know. I guess the things you do for love, maybe, but yeah. I don't see myself picking off my fiance, although I don't have one, his, his cheese. So shout out Tony's fiance for not letting any cheese go to waste. I can't yeah. appreciate that. No, okay. no cheese waster. Okay, well, we don't want to let any games go to waste. Let's <laughs> else roll around. That's what we've been chit-chatting about here the whole time. So, uh, Taylor, I'll start with you. I mean, if we had to have some postseason prognostications, are you seeing the Cubs just rattle right through the wild card round and then have that, that nice, long, extended weekend off? Is that where your head's at right now? Well, I think that's what every Cub fan would love to see, right? But I do think we've talked about the the wild card series is an interesting one, and it could be anybody's game. So I would love to see that happen, but I'm also a realist, and I know it's not going to be that easy. You know, there's I think the wild card is going to provide a lot of excitement, and I think it's going to be come down to the wire. So I could I think it's going to go to three games. Um, and it's going to be exciting to watch. But then they do have the weekend because they don't start again until, I believe it's even Tuesday, right? The National League? I think yeah. the National League starts the following Tuesday. So, yeah, that three, those three days off would be, would be nice to kind of get everybody settled and on to the division series. Yeah, the four days would be even better, though, because if they win on Wednesday and Thursday, then they have Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Monday off, and then Tuesdays when they get things ramped up. That's what I'm going with. That's, that's, that's where my head's at. I'm going with just a two-game sweep in the wild card round, and then they have the next days off, and they get to reset that rotation, Tony, which isn't really a bad thing, especially when you take a look at the arms right now that, that David Ross has, has at his disposal. Oh, yeah, I think that'd be fantastic because we're talking about – figure out, you know, whether it's Darvish or Hendricks in game one, if they are able to get past that wild card round, then you have the same 
kind of debate over again because both guys should be on regular rest because as Taylor mentioned it's not until Tuesday October 6th that that DS series starts in in Arlington or Houston so uh, yeah I think that's exactly what the the Cubs want but in general I think it's going to be really weird this postseason because there are no off days beyond the wild card round you know there normally you'd see in a five game division series you'd see two off days same with the seven game CS or World Series without that you're going to need fifth starters and you're not going to have your top relievers like in a normal situation, Jeremy Jeffers or Craig Kimbrell would probably be able to throw every game if the Cubs wanted them to. In this, they can't because you're playing five games in five days or seven games in seven days, and, and that's just not sustainable. So I, it would be really, really curious to see how, how Ross does it if the Cubs make it that far or just how any manager around baseball manages their pitching staff with, with no off days here until the World Series. Well, maybe we'll see some of these bullpen arms tap into their, their inner college student and go out there and just close and, and, and pitch whenever their number is called because just like back in the day, they didn't have scouting reports. And they, when you're in college and when you're in Legion League, there's, there's scouting reports in college. But Legion League, you just go out there, you get after it, you just, you're just you out there for the love of the game. And hopefully that's what we'll see once the postseason gets underway on Wednesday. That's going to be that wild card series and the Cubs, well, they'll control their own destiny once things get underway and, and hopefully we'll see them hoist the commissioner's trophy at season's end. So that's the only time we'll tell. And that's going to do it for this Cubs weekly podcast presented by Trust. Don't forget, you can download and subscribe to the pod on Spotify or Apple Podcasts or wherever you pick up your favorite podcasts and you can do it today. So for Taylor McGregor, Antonio Andraki, I'm Cole Wright. We'll see you next time right here on the Cubs weekly podcast.